Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Well, fantastic. Thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning. Um, I hope it's been a blessing to you wherever you're watching from. If this is your first time with us, we are thrilled that you're able to join us. We say it every week, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, my hope is that you discover something meaningful and real for your life today. And we, we want to get to know you, especially as we prepare for this Christmas season. Uh, we know it's going to look a little different this year. There, there isn't going to be as many in-person opportunities, but we want to stay connected. So if you feel comfortable, would you do me a favor and go to citycollective.com connect and fill out the form at the bottom with just your email address and someone from our team will reach out. I, I know that uh, we would just love to hear from you. As well, we talked about this at the beginning of the service, but I want to give a quick reminder that we're going to be partaking in communion together this morning. Uh, it's this act of remembrance and reflection. It's going to be happening right after the sermon. So we're going to take some grape juice and some bread together as a church, one body, and many places partaking together in this act of communion. So make sure that you have those elements ready to go. Now, this morning... We have uh, been in a series called Puzzling Parables, looking at the words of Jesus and the stories that he told his followers in his time here on earth. The stories were, were littered with allegory and, and with meaning. And we've seen how there has been perhaps some difficult things that have been said, but they have been said for a necessary purpose. And we're going to continue with that today before we jump into the Advent season. Don't worry. I know that Advent technically does start today. And we're going to lean into that. But as part of our preparation for the arrival of Jesus, what the Advent season is, I believe that the parable we're going to be looking at today turns our attention in the right direction. So we'll be reading out of the Gospel of Luke today with uh, Thea and Andrew helping us out with our scripture this morning. Let's prepare ourselves um, and we're just going to read together. Good morning, City Collective. I'm Thea. I'm going to be reading from Luke 29 to 19 today. The Parable of the Tenants. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come to destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is that that is written? The stones the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief 
priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. All right, well, with that reading from Thea and Andrew and that update from Sam, Jeremy, and Maddie, I think we are ready to go. What a smile on that little girl. Um, thanks for being part of our worship this morning. This is one of the ways that we get to do it. Now, time for some COVID honesty this morning. I think we should always be honest, but this isn't COVID honesty. I think I can say with a lot of confidence that my impetus, my, my drive, my desire for a healthy lifestyle, eating, eating smart, working out, sleeping well, has taken a consistent downward trajectory as months have passed by. Um, summer is gone, winter is here, daylight isn't really a thing anymore, and Christmas big baking is in full force. A little extra layer for the winter is the way of the bear. I think bears are my favorite animals. Bears are beautiful creatures, therefore I'm okay with it. I think so at least. There, there have been stretches of this season where I feel as if I have committed some quality time in the right direction. I have committed some time to being healthy. And that has been good, but with everything being online, you can probably track my general rotundness from week to week. The camera is generally not that forgiving, but here's the thing. I, I, I love sports, but I don't really enjoy working out. I, I was in the best shape of my life when basketball was in full force, but I always explained it like this. Give me a net. Give me a ball, give me a racket, shout out to all my squash players out there, and I'm gonna get after it. Or should I say pickleball players? But I'm gonna get after it. But if you're just expecting me to run for an extended period of time, fresh out of luck, I'm gonna get bored. Now, I, I'm right, am I right to think this way? Not in the slightest, but I think runners are incredible, and we've got some great runners in our church who could teach me a thing or two. But I remember going on said runs because it was something that my coach asked me to do. This is what we were told to do in the off season. And I would be running, I'd be thinking to myself, man, I'm getting so quick. I can feel how explosive I, I am. I, I'm keeping up a good pace. And then someone, a friend of mine would come running with me and I would discover very quickly that my pace when I was on my own was not their pace. And I'm talking about being some kind of athlete. I'm asking for all these breaks. It's embarrassing. It's exposing. And when you realize that what you're doing is not all that you think it is, it's a little overwhelming. But if I had been paying attention, all of the signs were there. I wasn't really dropping weight. Being lost in thought probably didn't help my pace. I found every opportunity to cut a corner and I really didn't pay attention to the time because I wasn't going to expose myself to myself, you know what I mean? It was just based on whether I felt a bit faster that day. Do you have something like this? That you think that you're doing well at but if you were to be really, really honest, and I mean really, really honest with yourself, it isn't perhaps where you think it is? I think we've all got things like this in our life. Now, I'm not trying to say to give up or to stop trying. We need to commit. We need to improve. We need to step outside of our comfort, comfort zone, outside of our areas of comfort. But what I'm trying to say is that there are areas in our lives where we are incredibly dishonest with ourselves. But healthy understanding and reflection of a present reality can lead to proactive responses that move us into the future. But statements like, this is just the way it is, or remember the good old days, romanticize what was, or, 
what is, and it pushes it past the point of honest consideration. And what I've found in my own life is that my self-deception, self-deception can run really deep. So much so that I can be told over and over and still reject the truth. So I'm grateful for people in my life who have not refused to be carriers of truth with grace in my story. People who have not given up on me, a God that has not given up on me. We need those people in our life. We need a good God to be speaking in our story. And we need to have ears to hear the voices of truth that are hoping for us to discover the fullness of our potential. But hear me on this. When we ignore God's voice long enough, we start avoiding God's voice altogether. And we fall into a deception that makes us believe that God's actually simply okay with everything that's going on. And if you don't know or recognize where change needs to happen, then stagnation sets in. And reality, uh, and the reality of stagnation is that it's not just stopping, but it's a steady deterioration. And think about it like this. If you can't recognize something, you're not going to change. If I don't recognize that my inability to cook is leading to me eating out all the time and hurting my bank account and my belt line, I'm, I'm never going to learn how to cook. And I'm just often going to say, this is just the way it is. I'm not trying to call people out. I am kind of calling myself out though this morning. This parable, which is being told by Jesus, is in response to the challenge of religious authority. And Jesus doesn't back down. But in doing so and answering their their challenge, he doesn't ease up on exposing these individuals who are dropping the challenge. This parable is told in all three of our synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And remember that the gospels are the same story of the life of Jesus told from different perspectives. So there is plenty of crossover And so we'll be referencing a a couple of the other variations of the story as we dive in. Some of the other retellings of the story in the other Gospels. So Jesus, he seems to do this. He, He reworks the Isaiah song of the vineyard that we see in Isaiah 5. And this reference at the very beginning is supposed to actually be noticeable. It's meant to be something for the Jewish authorities to recognize, and they would have known the Hebrew scriptures, and I guarantee you that it wouldn't have, they wouldn't have missed, missed it, but yet they didn't get the point right away. The messengers are sent ahead of him. Those are the prophets. Jesus is the son. God is the owner. And that means that the tenants in the story, these are the religious leaders that Jesus is speaking to right now. The vineyard that is established is a picture of, of a beautiful kingdom that coming from a good God. The process of establishing a vineyard includes selecting a good plot of land, planting it with vines, enclosing with a wall or fence, digging a wine press, building a watchtower. All these things that need to be done for something beautiful to take place. And then it goes on to say that a man went on a journey, and this signifies as the Lord of the vineyard. He left his vineyard to the occupation of the tenants. So God left the privileges to them, the Jewish people, to bear fruit. Israel was charged with bearing fruit. But what kind of fruit? It's it's charged with bearing the fruit of justice, to to show grace, to show God's grace to the world around, to pursue holy lives, loving service, joyful and devoted loyalty to God, and sacrificial generosity. These were the fruits that God was asking for, yet none were found. This is the story being told to these Jewish authorities, and there have been messengers sent prophets. All have been rejected. And now Jesus says, now the owner says, surely they will respect my son. And the son is sent and is rejected and killed. And as Jesus tells this story, I want you to picture this. He 
you can probably feel the temperature of the group rising a little. How dare they? But it's interesting that in the same parable told in the Gospel of Matthew, instead of jumping to the punchline, Jesus actually prompts the listeners as to what the owners should do. He asks them what they should do to the murderous tenants. And they respond with the punishment that they feel the wicked tenants deserve, one full of violence and retribution. And we need to remember this point because this pronouncement is actually not Jesus' idea of justice, but the religious leaders. And I know that makes us uncomfortable, but Jesus is, is painting this picture and then they actually start to clue in. Even now as we read this story, I know it rises up inside of me. A frustration and an anger at the tenants for treating people like this. For not being grateful for what's been given to them. For committing an injustice against those who have done them no wrong. Operating from a place of complete selfish intent. But here's the truth. How much more are you and I rejecting the servants and the son? How much more do we vie for control of the vineyard instead of caring for it as the gift that the owner has given? How much more do I follow my own selfish plans without considering the way of the owner, the way of God, the way of Jesus, the generosity that has been shown to me? The servants being rejected and then the son being rejected would have would have hit home for those Jewish for the Jewish audience. It would have been meaningful. And even would have helped them understand what the tenants were doing. Because there was a high priority placed on, placed on the existence of an heir and on physical representation of the owner on a property. Without that, the vineyard was free, free game. And this was the grand plan of the tenants. The listener would have got this. That the tenants had twisted their privilege to justify their action. And a clear disobedience is at play, a rejection, and evil ensues, but a perceived loophole in the law gave them the justification that they needed. The owner's been gone a long time. Probably doesn't even care about the place. We're here doing the work right now. It seems pretty unfair, actually. Well, you know what? Let's actually just kill the son and claim what is rightfully ours. You see how easy that was? To justify it? And this is what we do in our own lives as well. Maybe you've heard yourself do it or you've heard those around you do it, where we, we do this. We distort our understanding of God to justify our disobedience. Let me say that again. That we distort our understanding of God to justify our disobedience. The religious leaders have done this. So much so that they, they don't even really click in until later and when they know that what Jesus is trying to say, they respond with shock. Well, God forbid to the idea of the tenants rejecting the son. And we would never do that. And Jesus looks directly at them and he asks, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. This is a, a hard-hitting moment. The metaphor of, of a stone appears in several places in the Hebrew literature and in Isaiah 8 verse 14 in particular, the prophet, it describes the nature of, of the stone that Jesus is talking about. And it says this, that he will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Jesus is, is 
not trying to pull any punches here. He's trying to make a very clear connection, even in the words that he's using. In Hebrew, stone is the word eben. Sun is the word ben. So the occurrence of the words stone and sun in close proximity is wordplay. And, and it's found in other portions of the Gospels. Luke 19, Matthew 21, uh, Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is linking these ideas together. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to make plain to the religious authority that he has authority from God. And they have lost their way. The prophet Isaiah, he says that that stone, the Messiah, will be one that causes people to stumble. Paul, he uses that language as well. In 1 Corinthians, he calls the cross a scandal or a stumbling block. And Jesus is saying to them, I have literally become this stumbling block, this rock that you are stubbing your big toe on. Religious authority who, who know that Jesus is talking about, uh, know that Jesus, Jesus is talking about them. They don't really change their course of action, but they continue forward in their plans. They hear it, that awareness is brought to it, but yet they still move forward. And remember, this is on the Tuesday before Good Friday that this is told. It's, it's ridiculous to me. But it's funny that when I think of a relationship with God, I don't think of stubbing my toe. But what happens? You're walking, you're minding your own business, and you stumble. You stub your toe. It hurts a little. It's annoying. And what do you do? Well, you look at what caused it. Perhaps you're frustrated by it. But what if it suddenly caught your eye? And you see this beautiful stone that you're surprised that you almost missed it. One of the areas that has grown in importance for me is this idea of uh, action-oriented awareness. And what I mean by this is when you recognize something in your life, is it enough to be simply aware of it or do we actually do something about it? So often I have found awareness to be the highest value in our culture and it actually ends up being the final resting place. For example, I, I know that I have an issue in this area and I'm really glad that I, I know I do. And sure, there may be good intentions, but there is no practical direct action that follows to reconcile the issue. And awareness without action fosters a habit of justification. But what if being made aware actually compelled us to act? What if being made aware actually moved us forward? but we need to be made aware, I'm running my race, I'm doing my thing, and then I come across Jesus and I see a better way, what do I do with it? I need to see how suddenly our, our convenient volunteering is exposed, budgeted generosity is brought before God, our conflict avoidant forgiveness doesn't compare with the way of Jesus, and I realize that there's a better way and I gotta do something with it because Jesus is making a statement in every moment of his life, his death, his resurrection, that the way of this world is not the way of the kingdom, and those areas that lie in opposition to the way of Jesus will be crushed. It will feel like a crushing. God intends to return to the vineyard to change everything, and change is hard. You can either stumble across Jesus 
become completely disoriented because he doesn't fit into your world and have everything you know fall completely apart only to be put back together in a new way. Or you can fight the change and hang on to old paradigms and refuse to let go of what you have become accustomed to and find yourself crushed by the transformation. Have you experienced change? How it is all consuming and tumultuous? And if change is what is being brought before us, how do you respond to the correction of the gospel? Do we distort it? Do we reject it? Do we in, are we indifferent to it? Or do we avoid it? Or do we wrestle with it? Are we humbled by it? Or do we submit to it? Do we embrace transformation? Jesus is building a new kingdom and every day that new kingdom demands change. You can ignore it and find yourself stumbling across it. You can resist it and find yourself crushed by it. Or we can embrace it and build upon what Jesus says is the new cornerstone. To truly come into contact with the way of Jesus is to be made uncomfortable. It is to be confronted. It is to experience loss of self instead of building upon our unhealthy perspectives, our selfish will, our prideful tendencies. We are invited to build upon a new cornerstone. This stone, this sun, which has become the cornerstone, the person of Jesus, that this image of a cornerstone of a building, in addition to it being part of a foundation, it also determines the lay of the walls, the structure throughout. And all other stones must adjust themselves to this cornerstone. Yet, we find ourselves building houses upon other cornerstones, other stones in our life. I can think one of, the, of so many different areas, but one of the areas which seems to make so many appearances is we build our life on past experience, past success, past relationship, past interaction, in family environments, an idea burst from our upbringing. The way that you think, the way that you respond, the way that you experience moments all are formed. They, they, they are formed by our family narrative. And when Jesus comes into it with an invitation to something that there is that is better, it is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be crushing and stumbling. Why? Because preconceived notions, which have always been accepted, suddenly come against the truth of the gospel. In fact, I would say many of us are still feeling the tumultuous nature of shifting that cornerstone in our lives. We don't really like the houses that we've built our lives, up, built our lives to look like, we, and we recognize that the cornerstone isn't good, but to institute real change is to pull that cornerstone, and it's going to send everything tumbling down. Change is hard. It always feels inevitable and it is hard. And it's hard to believe that Jesus is doing a new thing in the world. That he's challenging so much of that we create and we think for ourselves. But this is what Brian Zahn says. He says, we forget that when we see Christ dead upon the cross, we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. And we forget all this because the disturbing truth is it's hard to believe in Jesus. It causes a shift. It causes a change. We all have a choice in how we respond to, to this message from Jesus. Do we hear? 
Do we repent of, of our not-so-Jesus ways and return to our forgiving and loving Lord? Because that's the real end game of the message behind all of Jesus' parables. The chief priests and the Pharisees, once they've realized the message was for them, they, become, they became angry. In fact, so angry that they arranged for Jesus' death. But we know that that wasn't the end of the story. The stone, Jesus, that the builders, the religious authority rejected becomes the cornerstone. And Jesus is ever-present and walking and living alongside us, calling us to be part of the new vineyard of the kingdom of God that is looking to shift and transform our world. This parable, in effect, summarizes the whole of the biblical story. The giving of special privileges to Israel. The sending of the prophets. The selfish disobedience of the religious authority. The the sending, at last, of God's own Son. The cruel rejection of Jesus. The judgment on Israel. And the offer of the gospel to, to all people. Christ's establishment as the cornerstone, as the foundation stone of God's kingdom. And the parable, parable doesn't even just describe those series of events, but it challenges us. It challenges our stewardship of the kingdom privileges we ourselves have been given. This parable is not meant to be a threat that you're going to get crushed. It's an invitation. An invitation to realize that being broken to pieces, having our world fall apart, this is not the end. It is simply the beginning of a newer and better, more expansive imagination of what could be. The hard part of this parable is not the breaking apart that we are going to see all around us. It's the conviction that we got to capture that the kingdom of God will come. That the world is being changed. That God's imagination is not merely a possibility, but the destination of all reality. And because that's that's the only question that we are going to be facing, we need to ask ourselves, will we embrace the story even when it trips us up? Breaks us down? Or will we fight to the bitter end to hang on to what we think we already have? Here's the thing. Do you want to be selfish? Do you want to be arrogant? Do you want to be controlling, angry, and petty? Probably not at face value, but we hold on to these things. And if we want to, you can do that. But Jesus is saying that that story can and will come to an end. That I want something better for you. And whether you realize it or not, things are changing all around us. And, and, and change and judgment can either feel like the crushing weight of the kingdom that leaves less and less room for who you used to be or builds you into something new. My prayer as we approach this Christmas season and we think upon this aspect of God, in this Advent season, may we not be led by our own selfish ambition, by ritual or religion or personal plans but may we be led by a new way. A cornerstone we now see and choose to build upon that establishes a new way for each of us and for our world. Church, this morning, when we are in that space where we can recognize that we are stumbling, we are justifying our disobedience, where we are making decisions just so we can create our own house, that we don't have Jesus as our cornerstone, know this, that there is grace and forgiveness always available to each and every one of us. And the invitation to you this morning is would you embrace the gift of who Jesus is to become the way in which you move forward in your story? As we move into this Christmas season, 
as we prepare for the coming of Jesus, as we think through the stories that were told that spoke of the kingdom to be, let's remember that change is happening. The kingdom is coming. And we're invited to discover what the newness of Jesus could look in our life. I'm going to pray this morning. I hope that you can reflect on some of these things as we move forward. So Father, we give you thanks that you meet us where we are. That you confront us in our justifications, in our disobedience, in our, in our decisions to be avoidance. And I just pray, Father, right now that you would give us the, the boldness and the courage to, to have an honest reflection upon the areas in our life that we are holding on to those paradigms, those perspectives that we refuse to let go of and that are not building a healthy house and are acting as a cornerstone where you truly desire to be. Thank you for every person who's listening this morning. I pray for family situations that are carrying so much brokenness into every situation moving forward. I pray healing upon that, that family that just so desperately needs to know you, that needs to experience your renewal, that experience your kindness and your grace and your healing. We just believe right now that you are placing yourself directly into those situations of hurt, where we find ourselves feeling desperate and, and lonely and, and so separate from everyone else, so much so that we don't find any purpose or hope for the future. I pray that we are met by the joy that can only come in the Lord, by a peace that passes all understanding, and that as we experience that change, as it, as it shifts us, as it hurts us, as it, as it kind of just makes it feel so tumultuous and overwhelming, I pray that we discover you in the storm. Thank you that on this first Sunday of Advent, we can look towards the coming King. Help us to discover that and prepare our hearts in a new way in the days to come. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Jason, and I hope you enjoyed that sermon as much as I did. Uh, I really encourage you to look through those reflection questions a little bit more. They're going to be posted, and they're actually in the link to this description. Just think about that this mm. week um, and really allow it to transform you. Uh, I hope you've prepared your communion elements uh, because we're ready to participate together. And although we didn't get to do it at the in-person service we were planning, we're really thankful that we still get to do it together as a community. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Uh, if you've never participated in communion before, uh, let me just give you a, a brief idea of what we are doing as, as a church community. One church in many places where we're taking uh, the, the bread and the juice and we are reflecting upon the person of Jesus, upon his gift of, of life, his death, his resurrection. And we're doing that in a call back to the Last Supper, where he takes the bread and he breaks it at the table and he asks him to do that in remembrance and, and he drinks of the wine. And I think this is really beautiful because if you think about remembering something, anytime you remember something, it is as if you are bringing it from when it was into the present. So we're remembering that moment that Jesus had, his words, his life, his presence. 
And when we're doing so, we're inviting him into our present. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing that we get to do together as a church. So if you could take your bread, whatever you have at home with you, uh, and we'll partake together, body of Christ, broken for you. You can take a moment and reflect. Now at the table, Jesus, he took the cup of wine and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this and do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us in this time of communion. Uh, we're going to transition. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Enjoy.